well. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just Around the Corner. I'm Dan. I'm a Dave here on 4680Q, Niagara's Internet Radio. Today's show is sponsored. Our very first sponsor is sponsored by Lupo's Little Italy. Lupo's is located in the Canadian Tire Plaza on Morrison Street here in Niagara Falls. They got great, authentic Italian foods, always fresh. Stop by and see John Franco and their staff. They've got great food, like I said, and you will not be disappointed. Thank you, John Franco, for stepping up and supporting the show. I really appreciate it. Our guest today is a good friend and the name that is most synonymous to me and to many others with Light of Day, Mr. Joe Grusecki from Joe Grusecki and the House Rockers out there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Next week, we have the two Jasons from Jason Heath and the Greedy Souls. It's Jason Heath and Jason Federici from sunny Southern California. We'll be calling Cali. It'll be about three hours difference, so it'll be, uh, well, not quite morning. It'll be early afternoon for those guys. So that's at 4 o'clock next Tuesday. The week after that, the Prince of Asbury Park himself, Mr. Bobby Mahoney, <clears throat> will be live from Asbury Park. But that'll be on a Wednesday at 6.30, because Bobby, he's a teacher, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot of stuff going on, so we had to uh, we had to bump it to Wednesday, but that's all right. Now, he was just in Tonawanda. We caught uh, his show in Tonawanda on Saturday night. I've got up and, and jammed with him. It was a great, great show, and nice to see Bobby. So we'll talk about a bunch of stuff later today and what they're doing, their little East Coast tour, because they also played up near Joe Grusecki in Pittsburgh. I know Danny and Jamie were out at the show. So uh, those are our next two shows. Really looking forward to it. And uh, really looking forward to today. I've been excited about today. I, uh, uh, I'd like to say it's, you know, I don't get to talk to Joe much, but I do talk to Joe a lot. Not as much these days as we used to. We used to talk a lot in the mornings on the phone and uh, did a lot of work with Joe uh, with his web stuff. And uh, Joe's been playing here for many, many years. But before I bring him on, I want to tell you a quick story of how I met Joe. And then I want to play one of my favorite songs from his incredible catalog. Now, when the album A Good Life came out, now I, I had gotten into Joe back in 95, and I'll go over that later. Uh, <clears throat> but his album A Good Life came out in 2006, I think. And uh, I don't know if I saw it on the website or Backstreets, but I saw somewhere that he was playing at a bar in Toronto. This bar I'd never heard of. It was called the Cadillac Lounge. And I, th I got my guys together. I said, you know, we got to go out and see this guy. He's fantastic. I love his writing. He's one of my favorite songwriters. So let's head up. So we headed up to Toronto uh, to catch a show. And we got there early. I'm having a couple couple drinks. And uh, I see a guy standing at the bar. And uh, it's Joe Grusecki. So I thought I'd mosey on up to the bar and, and uh, talk to Joe. So uh, I got up to there, and I said to Joe, I said, hey, uh, how you doing? I'm Dave from Niagara Falls, and he was, he was gracious with his time. And I said, you know, I was on your website today. Back then, Joe's website was, you know, it needed a little work. <laughs> and, you know, and you guys know, we own the Animal Creative Group, and, uh, you know, the first thing I look at is your website and how it looks. And I said, hey, I, you know, your website could use some work, and, uh, you know, we could, uh, we could do something for you. Joe goes, well, if you want to do it, give me your number, and uh, we'll make it happen. A few weeks later... I'm in Toronto. I'm getting ready for uh, a meeting. Actually, we're sitting out, sitting out in the lobby having a coffee, waiting. We were a little early, and my phone rings, and it's Joe Grushecki. And I'm, my hand starts to shake. I'm like, oh, my God, Joe Grushecki's calling. I pick it up. I tell my partner, it's, it's Joe, you know, Bruce Springsteen's friend, Joe, <laughs> guy I listen to all the time. So I, I pick up the phone, and uh, hey, uh, now he, I was going to say he said Big D, but he didn't at the time. That's my, that's my nickname now. So uh, we start talking, and he says, hey, you still want to do that website? I said, <laughs> darn, darn do, we do. So we, uh, we talked a little bit, and the rest, as they say, 
his history. We became friends. We've been doing his web stuff for many, many years. Uh, site's a little bit behind. So if you're on JoeGrusheki.com, that's on me, um, not Joe. So uh, we've been doing stuff with Joe for many, many years. And uh, the funny part about that story, it, meeting him at the Cadillac Lounge, fast forward 15 years, and I'm good friends with Sammy Grasso, the owner, and Joe Grusheki. It was kind of funny. We did, the, the three of us didn't e know each other at the time, although Sam and, uh, Sam and Joe were friends already. But I didn't know these guys, and eventually they ended up being great, great friends. So here's Joe Grusheki and the House Rockers. And one of my favorites from that era, from the album A Good Life, here's the title track. Enjoy. A one, two, three, go.
You're listening to Just Around the Corner on Niagara's Internet Radio 4680Q. I'm Dan, I'm Dave, and that was Joe Grushecki with the help of somebody you may know, Mr. Bruce Springsteen, a good friend of Joe's, uh, was on that record. And uh, it, it, what a fabulous, fabulous record. Uh, it's called A Good Life. Check it out online uh, on Spotify, but then make sure you head over to JoeGrushecki.com and you pick up the album. I'm sure once you hear Joe, if, you, if you're not a fan, once you hear a few of his songs, you'll know why he's one of my favorite singer-songwriters. I'm proud to call our guest today a friend. He's been a huge part of Light of Day from the beginning, both in Asbury Park and here in Canada. He's the reason I got to meet the boss and the reason my son got to be on stage with the boss. He's a diehard Steelers fan, Pittsburgh's native son. Please welcome to the show our friend, Mr. Joe Grushecki. Joe, you on the line? I am here, Dave. Ah, uh, that's great. I'm used, to, I'm used to our early morning calls, Joe, from way back when. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a few years now, right? Yeah, we used to do that all the time, me, you, and me, you, and Sammy, and, uh, and I guess everybody gets busy and starts doing their own things. But so how's things out in Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's raining now. It's another rainy day in Pittsburgh. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> somebody, we have like five song, days but... of sunlight all year long. But uh, it's going good. Pirates are winning, and uh, I'm rooting for the the Leafs, Toronto for for the Stanley Cup. That's my my pick. And uh, well, I think this has got to be the first time in a long time that you're cheering for your Pirates in May and not your Penguins. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you know what? I, I can remember very distinctly. I, we were playing at a bar up Canada when the, uh, when the Pens won the uh, cup. Well, if you recall, the first that, one was, uh, yeah, that was part of the Yank Summer Series. And if you recall, you guys wouldn't go on until the end of that game. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't play. <laughs> we were being difficult. No, no, you weren't being difficult. Hey, my, we do the same thing. Trust me. If if the Sabers ever made the playoffs, but this may never happen. So listen, I've I heard Joe that you've got a few milestones happening this week. Uh, retirement. Well, and I'm going to turn 75 years old. Can't believe how old I am. And uh, I'm actually going to retire from my day gig. Finally, as we say in Italy, on and off for a lot of years. So I'm going to finally hang it up. Now, what, as a teacher, you know, I mean, you've been a teacher for how many years? Uh, well, I've 18 years at this point. I got probably about 30 some years in, but you know, I've I've quit several times. <laughs> I started right out of college, and then I got a record deal, and I I, you know, I I quit teaching for many years and did the music thing, and then uh, oh, I once I started having children, and you know, it was a little bit more difficult to travel and and stuff. Uh, right, right. I started using my teaching degree again. Okay, now and you and what were you teaching before you? Uh... I'm a special ed teacher. Right, right. That's what I thought. And I started out teaching um, what they called at the time profoundly retarded children, uh, institutionalized children. Oh, wow. And uh, and now now I'm learning support. So, you know, I've I've run the whole gamut of special ed. I've done about everything you could do. Wow. Over the years. It's about time you took a little bit of a rest there, Joe. Yeah, yeah. It's time to time to chill a little bit you know now over the years i've heard a lot of great joe g stories but one of the questions i've been asking everybody and it's it's actually been very educational for me because i know a lot about you but when i was putting together some questions and doing doing a little research um one of the things i never found out is you know how you got started what what made you become a musician what was that what was that thing that made you say i want to do this and then how did you get started i was always one of those guys that 
you know, um, my family's musicians. My my father was a musician, uh, and he was he was a jack of all trades. He could play, could play just about anything you put in front of him. He, you know, we grew up in a house. He played bass. He played mandolin. He played guitar. He played fiddle. He played accordion. He played saxophone. He played clarinet. And the house was full of instruments. And uh, uh, you know, we, we were uh, you know not a wealthy family. So 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 a, a good time in our household was my, my dad would play guitar while my mom was doing her chores, and she would sing. She had a very good voice. So I sort of grew up with, with the musical bug, but then, you know, I had an uncle who was um, a 50s guy. And, you know, when I was a little boy, he was he, he would play Elvis and all that stuff. And I thought, wow, you know, I was like hooked from the first time I heard it. So, uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, I saw the Beatles and that was it. Because, you know, I was trying to figure out how, how to make music before that. And, you know, I, I fancied myself a little bit of a singer, but... You know, uh, but seeing the Beatles play guitar and um, what really sealed the deal for me was the Rolling Stones because they were playing more of the music that was popular here in Pittsburgh. I kind of figured. You know, the Beatles were too perfect. They were, they were <laughs> the chords, too many chords, too, too too hard to figure out. But the Stones, you know, three chords in a cloud of dust, that was, that was my cup of tea. So um, I just, um, you know, played all through high school in a bit through college, and um, I was sort of directionless, and uh, Art Nardini, who, who was partners with me for many years, uh, approached me and said, do you want to start a band? I said, I don't know if we try to get a record deal. So we were fortunate enough to, uh, wow. within t uh, two years. Well, actually, from about a year and a half, it took us to get a record deal. And, and in the days when it was, you know, uh, before the the, you know, the do-it-yourself, you know, record-at-home right. thing. So right, it, right. it was, it was not easy getting a deal, but we were very fortunate, and we got signed to MCA. And um, so, so there were no like there were no bands that led up to the Iron City House Rockers. Like you well, we had um, Art and I had a band. I had a band in college called Shoe. I actually had, you know, it was my big. Uh, I didn't know that. It was See, a three-piece band, you know, with, with Cream and Jimi Hendrix and all that. Right, right. And we were three of us, so we had S H O O O. You know, that was our, our big brainstorm like shoe. <laughs> and uh, we actually had an audition for RCA. Um, with that band. With that band. Oh yeah. Wow. And um, that didn't come to pass. And then, um, uh, then I was directionless for a while and played. Uh, a lot of blues stuff for a while, and um, and then when Art and I started to get together, we had a, our band was called the Brick Alley Band. Oh right, and, and we um, we morphed into the House Rockers. So because uh, uh, Steve Popovich, who signed us um, from Cleveland International, he hated the name Brick Alley, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know we were recording. We did our first single. Um, was the cover of Chuck Berry's School Days, which if you can find it, is really, really a great Chuck Berry cover. I mean, it's just smoking. And uh, you have that somewhere in the vault? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Uh, it's it's on one of the the best of. You know, I have to give it to you if you can put it online. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyways, so uh, so 
so we were doing our first major recording session after we signed with Cleveland, and he said, "I hate your name." He said, "He said you got you got a week to change it." And uh, so we we were calling ourselves the House Rockers, and he he gave us the name the Iron City because he was real big in regional music at that right. time. He was. You know, he was trying to get the Cleveland scene happen, and he thought maybe with us he'd get Pittsburgh. And then he was very instrumental in in uh, the Asbury Park scene because he signed Southside Johnny and Steve Van Zandt uh, was his, his uh, right right hand man in that um, endeavor. So so they really wanted to to, um, to make it regional. And actually, you know, uh, I heard one of Steve's rock and roll. Um, I forget one of the broadcast podcasts, and he he actually said that he he gave us the name the Iron City because we were oh, called really? the House Rockers, and Steve suggested Steve Van Zandt suggested to Steve Poff which he calls Iron City. Now your and, first um, okay, go ahead. So that you know that was we we come out with the Iron City House Rockers. The first record was on MCA Records in 1979. Love so tough, right? Love so tough. Now those first two albums were were critically acclaimed like you know oh my god they were well actually the third album was too the third album sort of been forgotten but we were we were the critics darlings you know the third record was never released on um on uh cd never got a re-release a proper re-release of it and steve cropper did that and and uh oh yeah yeah he did in los angeles and steve cropper you know he's Oh, yeah. He's one of the greatest guitar, rock guitar, rhythm blues, sure. blues guitarist of all time. You know, you'd ask, "Who's your favorite guitar player?" To Pete Townsend, Steve Cropper. Who's your favorite guitar player? Keith Richards, Pete Townsend. Really? Who's your favorite guitar player? Jimi Hendrix. I mean, um, Steve Cropper. Did I'll say Steve Cropper? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, really. I didn't realize. That. I mean, I got a couple of Steve Cropper albums. I know who he is. I just, I didn't realize he was held. Well, in yeah, he thing. wrote "Dock of the Bay," "Midnight Hour," "Knock on Woods," "Green Onions." That's and, and I think, you know, I've said this to Sam before, I think one of the best things about talking to you when we used to have those talks in the morning is all, that, all the stuff I learned about music history. I just learned something now. I did not know he wrote Dog of the Bay. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. And, and uh, it was one of the biggest thrills of my life working with Steve. I guess so. In fact, I have, I, I'm, my next project, we just finished up a new record. My next project is I'm going to do a re-release on Blood and the Bricks. Oh, that's I a got the master record. tapes. I'm, I'm going to remix it, put some bonus tracks on it, something like I did with uh, "Have a Good Time but Get Out Alive." Well, those early albums had a great edge. I mean, I I I was late for the dance, <clears throat> and I didn't I didn't really start following you until American Babylon. And well, we're that. probably a little bit, you know. I mean, that was that was a long time ago. We're you know we. <laughs> you have to be a certain age to appreciate Iron City House Rockers. <laughs> well, when you when you put out your first album, yeah, I was uh, I was thirteen, and I wasn't really into that uh, you know kind of edgy rock and roll that, that you guys were playing, which I love now. But at the time, I was more of singer songwriter guy. So yeah, probably. Well, you know, our, our band, we were a killer live band, but, but we were um, you know we were kind of, we were we were rough and tumble. You know, we were coming out of a a real deep appreciation for the rhythm and blues you know we and uh pittsburgh was going through uh, just a, a tremendous social upheaval at that time with the closing of the steel mills and the, right you know the, the loss of you know a quarter of our population here and 
you know, we wrote about a lot of stuff that was happening on the street and, you know, social issues and, you know, we weren't, we weren't your pops, popsters by any stretch of the imagination. We, I mean, we tried to have a couple pop songs, but I don't, I don't know how, su- obviously we weren't that successful, you know. <laughs> so now, now the, the three albums, I, I know you, you said, you know, Blood on the Bricks too, but the first two albums that, you know, what I, what I was reading, what we've talked about before were, were you know, like you said, critically acclaimed, and I think Rolling Stone gave one of them five stars or whatever. But so, what happened? I mean, you, you had three great initial releases. What happened back then? Like, what, what was the uh, the change? Well, Cleveland International, uh, who we were signed with, uh, and they were releasing our albums on MCA. Um, right. They had the Meatloaf thing going on. Meatloaf, you know. Meatless one of the top ten selling records of all time, right. and the whole company imploded uh, trying to get Meatless second record out. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, first night I met Bruce Springsteen, we were doing a record um, in Media Sound, have a good time to get out alive, and I had gone up, uh, we had recorded the basic tracks, and I had gone back to do some vocals and mix it with Mick Ronson and Ian Hunter. And uh, Mick, uh, I got in New York City, Mick Mick and I hooked up, and Mick invited me down to the power station to, uh, because he was playing guitar on on the Meatloaf follow-up to Bad Out of Hell. And so I went down to the power station, and uh, I'll never forget it, because this band, I I don't see how they didn't have a million-selling record with this band they had. Oh, Max and Gary with the rhythm section, but right. they have Mick Ronson playing guitar, Davy Johnston from um, from Elton John, El- Elton John's band wow. playing guitar, and Nicky Hopkins on piano. Who's Nicky from? I, I don't recognize the name. And, and uh, Meatloaf and Jim Steinman were there. Wow. And I didn't get I didn't get into control room. You know, I wasn't I didn't have enough uh, clout at the time. Enough <laughs> juice to get into control room near what they were doing, but and. Um, Steve Van Zandt, who had worked on that record too, he was he was um, ran into him because he and Bruce were in the next room at the power station during the river. Ooh. So it was like a huge heavyweight yeah. session going on yeah. down there. So that's the first time I met Bruce actually. But Stephen and I, we knew each other from from doing "Have a Good Time" to "Get Out Alive," which I could give you a twelve-hour. Um, phoner about how crazy that record was you know? <laughs> working with steve van zandt ian hunter yeah, and pretty Nick cool. Ronson. that's pretty cool that's a that's a those are some hitters right there <laughs> right and we were basically you know we, we were still wet behind the ears our first record we did we would play in these bars in pittsburgh until the wee hours in the morning then get up and drive to cleveland and record uh in the daytime, and then we, sometimes we drove back and played at night. Right. We never did more than two days at a time on that record until it was done. And I went and did uh, some uh, guitar overdubs and some singing, uh, you know, to finish the record off. But it was like one day at a time. We you know we we come we'd show up at Cleveland, uh, the agency, which is above the Gore Ballroom, and you know we'd play whatever song that we had worked up and was playing on stage, basically. Really? So it wasn't much thought or, or production with it, that song. It was basically whatever we had been playing in my basement or on stage in the bars in Pittsburgh went on that record, the first record. 
the second record was a little bit more produced and thought out. We had a week of rehearsals uh, with uh, Mick Ronson. We uh, worked with us half the day, Steve Van Zandt the other half the day, and then, uh, then Ian Hunter showed up after Steve Van Zandt bowed out. <laughs> It's cool. You're just mentioning those names. You know, actually, Mick Ronson, uh, you, you have something in common with Rick Rose, who owns this uh, radio station. Cause, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah we've talked about that. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so then you, so now you're doing Blood on the Bricks and that comes out. So, so what you, you were saying that, you know, Meatloaf kind of drained the record label of all their money. So, what happened? Did they, they well, drop we had no record? management. We had, you know, our, our agency was, uh, the agent was, was booking us was uh, an older guy. He was going th- through some changes. Right. Uh, you know, we're, he had booked us on some wild gigs. <laughs> we actually opened for Ozzy Osbourne. And, you opened for Ozzy? You know, and it's uh, another story. <laughs> I did not know that. Itself. And uh, we lasted about five, we asked, we lasted three songs on the Aussie tour. <laughs> what happened? Well, the people didn't like us. You know, <laughs> well, that's they, quite different, they, yeah. They, we weren't quite. Uh, <laughs> you weren't biting the head Aussie off a bat crowd. or anything? What's that? You weren't, like, biting the head off a bat or doing anything like that? Well, you know what? <laughs> that, that was his bite off the head off the bat tour. And, uh, <laughs> and then they, they drove the airplane into the tour bus and, you know, Oh, Randy Rose with Randy Rhodes passing. Yeah. I just saw a documentary on Ozzy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was we opened that tour. We were first gig on that tour. Wow. First and last. First. <laughs> <laughs> so now, okay. So now the record company lets you go, and I noticed you know there's like a six year gap between your last uh, Iron City House Rocker album and then the birth of Joe Grishecki and House Rockers. What happened in between there? Well, actually, we we put out a record in 1984 called "Cracking Under Pressure." Oh, I forgot that. Yes, and I do yeah, actually love that. Yeah, we put that out, and right when the record came out, MCA uh, was taken over by Irving Azoff. Right. And Irving came in, and he he chopped the whole roster. I think he, I be, do believe he kept Olivia Newton-John, uh, The Who, Tom Petty. And I remember you telling me the story. Was Elton John? Probably? That was it. You know, uh, you know, maybe one or two other big, big hitters, and then, you know, he, he dropped everybody else. And we had uh, basically uh, tried to play ball with the record company on that record. You know, we were trying to be a little bit more pop and more modern sounding. Uh, yeah, which is apparently yeah, but still a great album. You know, we we could see the writing on the wall. I mean, we, we made three great records and, and, you know, we weren't getting much airplay and, and, uh, you know, in our, in our infinite wisdom, you know, that, you know, we didn't make any videos, uh, because we thought they were kind of stupid, <laughs> but that was, <laughs> and that's right. It was just taken off around that. It time. was just taken off. And, uh, you know, so, so we didn't have, we didn't have anything, uh, any power behind this, uh, you know, it's, the music business is a lot like politics. Sure. You know, you, uh, you know if you don't have any power, you're going to get screwed uh, consistently. Right. And, uh, you know, without Cleveland International behind us and, and uh, Steve Popovich's wisdom, 
we had, we had nothing uh, business-wise, so we were just afloat. And the, the guys got a little um, impatient. They got a little uh, discouraged, and some of the members quit. And we 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 were trying to struggle on, and and we were just we just didn't have the magic we had before, so we, you know, we just decided to throw it throw in the towel. Well, what made you jump back into the music scene after you know whatever? Well, I never year? left. I you know you, I, 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 I played, and you know oh, I, okay. I was I, I had an actual hit here in Pittsburgh. Was a very eighty sounding hit called Radio Ears, and uh, really. Ended up being the biggest hit I had here in Pittsburgh without a band. You know, it was just like really? a, it was an all-star gig uh, and uh, very 80s sound. I should send you that one. Yes, too. I don't think you've ever sent that. No, I never sent. It was in you know it was like the 80s sound, dancing in the dark. You know, the big right. Everybody was trying to. Yeah. And we try to you know I I try and again in. Uh, youthful stupidity, I thought, well, you know, actually the house rockers didn't do anything, and then I got, I got this massive local hit here with this song Radio Ears, maybe I should put a band together and try to go play that type of music, and uh, so I recorded a bunch of stuff in that vein, and, you know, uh, uh, it just never gelled, and... Uh, so that never came out, that stuff? No, it never came no, out. So. And, you know, in retrospect, it wasn't very good. And uh, so I decided to get back to what I did. So, you know, put a band that was more roots-oriented, uh, a la Joe Grusecki and the House Rockers. I got signed to Ronder, and uh, Ronder said, well, you know, if we tell people we have Joe Grusecki, uh, nobody knows who that is, but if we say we have the lead singer for the Iron City Hash Rockers and, you know, people say, oh, yeah, we know who they are. Right, right. So yeah. we sort of tried to split the difference and compromise a bit because I wanted my name out there because I felt that, uh, you know, one of my major mistakes with the Iron City Hash Rockers, I should have my name out front. Yeah, 100%. Because I mean, you're the when that broke up, leader. you know, four years of, you know, six, eight years of work went down a drain because nobody knew who I was. Right, so you had to kind of rebuild from the Right. Ground up, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. I mean, so they, that album that came out, uh, the first album with those guys, was that Rock and Real? It was called Rock and Real. Yeah, it's a great record, great record. Yeah, and then you now before we get to uh, one of my favorite albums, and they're all great. Don't get me wrong, but you know some 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 of them are you know uh, a little higher some up. Some are on better than scale. others, you know. You yeah. have, like seventeen, eighteen records. You know, That's right. You know, so you're gonna have your favorites, right? Yeah. I don't have anything I'm really ashamed of, let's put it that way. Hey, even with your kids, sometimes you have a favorite kid. Sorry, Johnny, Des, Des, yeah, Des, Des is the favorite. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you love them equally. So I, I got to tell just a quick story and play a song. So back in 95, Joe, uh, like I was saying, I, I, I read somewhere that your buddy Bruce, who we're going to talk about uh, in, a, in a few minutes, but your buddy Bruce was producing your record. It's probably on Backstreets or something that I was, I was reading all this. So... Yeah, I immediately went out and bought the album because you know that's how I've that's uh, I, I was very narrow-minded when it came to music. If if it wasn't if it wasn't the uh, Southern California Eagles Poco or the Jersey Shore, I didn't I didn't buy it back then. So I had you know I kind of heard heard the 
that he was producing a new album. <clears throat> I immediately went to Sand Director Man. I was living in Toronto at the time. Picked it up, and from the very beginning, from the very first song, I was I was a fan. I mean, right from the very beginning. And this album, American Babylon, is probably my favorite. You've got a you got a ton of great ones, but uh, this is probably my favorite record. And we'll talk about the anniversary, the 25th anniversary. But I thought I'd play a, uh, one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite Joe Grushecki uh, songs for the fans out there. So this one's from American Babylon. We'll be back with Joe Grushecki right after this. This one's called Never Be Enough Time. So we just ran away Got a little apartment In a hotel Down in Brownsville Way Used to sit in the kitchen Play guitar One night turned to day Well I always thought it's something No one could ever take away but the time run out And the pain runs through There'll never be enough time To forget about you Well, there'll never be enough time To forget about you Yeah. 
You're listening to Just Around the Corner on 4680 QNAGRA's internet radio station. Uh, our show is sponsored by our friends at Lupo's Little Italy Food Truck on Morrison Street over the Canadian Tire Plaza here in Niagara Falls. Check them out. And I'm Dan with Dave, and that was today's guest, Joe Grushecki, with a little help from his friend, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. One of the finest songs, I think, in his extensive catalog. Yeah, never be enough time. Just a just a, a great, great song. But that that album from start to finish is, is just incredible. From Dark and Bloody Ground to Only Lovers Left Alive. Uh, trust me, I'll give you a money back guarantee. Pick up that record if you don't love it. Dan and Dave will pay. He'll pay for it. <laughs> what do you think about that, Joe? I'm giving, me, I'm giving uh, money back live, guarantees. Live, recorded live. It's just, you know, in fact... The light of day that you're playing at the beginning is is uh, our version of it, the Hashwalker version. Now, Joe, Joe, when that song ended, I was I didn't have you, I didn't have your level up. I was just given a a little uh, spiel, so oh. we kind of no, it's okay. So we kind of we kind of missed that, and I was just gonna I was just gonna ask you about the album. So what was that you were saying about? Uh, I said the um, the double record. The double CD that's out now, plus yep. the vinyl, has a lot of live tracks on it. Of, uh, oh. It was recorded at Nick's Fat City when Bruce came in and played with us. And in the, the light of day, the, your intro song is actually uh, our band, The House Rockers, with Bruce. Right, right. And, and I've been, I've been kind of uh, going back and forth with the, uh, the MTV plugged version and your version because i love them both but uh well i gotta say our version is much more vicious than I, it, it does it's got a little bit more anger and i love it it's uh you yeah. but but you know for those listening that don't come to our shows and don't go to the shows down and the as we day on mtv well you know when we were going to do this you know bruce actually was his idea he might not say it was but it was his idea to go out and play with us so we had like six or eight I think six dates booked, and we were rehearsing, and, and uh, when we originally did the record, I had heard a, a version of, on a bootleg of uh, Murder Incorporated. I tried to get Bruce to let me do Murder Incorporated. <laughs> Great. He, he, it would suit you guys. Give it up. So we recorded, uh, you know, I said, we, you know, if you're coming out and play with it, we have to have a couple of your songs. We'll play. So we played... Uh, Murder Incorporated, which we learned before we got to New Jersey to rehearse off a of bootleg tape. And uh, Bruce, at the end of rehearsal one night, he said, well, let's play Light of Day, which, you know, was a fairly standard, easy song to play. Uh, you know, it has Gloria chords, you know, one, right, four, right. five progression. And so we actually learned Light of Day uh at the Stone Pony or rehearsing the night before we went out and did that, um, what they called the October Assault Tour. Oh, okay. And uh, so, yeah, Bruce taught us that song personally because I, I had never heard it before then. Well, and as I was saying just before, I mean, if you've been to any of the shows, Joe, is, Joe and the House Rockers are the ones that play that song at the end of every show, except, of course, for the Blue Rodeo show, but we won't get into that. But every except show, <laughs> we, we won't get into that on the air, but, but you know, that's it's a staple for Light of Day. But just well, to kind of... you know, Bob Benjamin, uh, who was my manager at the time, he picked up on that song and used it as his uh, theme song for, for the Light of Day Foundation, thinking that, you know, that, that there is hope 
just around the corner at the light of day for a cure for Parkinson's. Exactly, and you guys have been supporting ever since. Now, just to go back a little bit, about that album, I mean, you just had your 25th anniversary three years ago. Um, how did you get Bruce to produce and play on the record? Like, what, How did that transpire? Well, uh, Bruce and I had been friends for a while. Uh, did you see CBS evening, the CBS morning? Yeah, the uh, other day. Yeah. Segment on uh, the Nebraska stuff. Nebraska. Yeah. Well, actually, that July of that year, uh, Bruce and I, we played at Big Man's, and Bruce played with us, and it's the first time Bruce and I hung out. And we uh, we went to that particular house after the show, and, and uh, he had played me some of Nebraska on that little four-track, so it all come. So you heard, so you actually heard Nebraska before it came out, like some of the songs? Part of it, yeah. Wow, because that's my, uh, that to me is the ultimate Bruce Springsteen. Right? So uh, I just remembered that, that watching watching that uh, segment the other day. So so we had been, you know, you know how you meet somebody and you just hit it off. So so we, we just got to be friends. That's uh, cool. That was 82. And, you know, 10 years later, we were, you know, every time he came into Pittsburgh, I'd go see him play and, you know, he started asking me to play with his band, and uh, that's pretty cool. You know, we just sort of kept in touch, and we put out a record called "End of the Century." And uh, another thing, critically acclaimed, but we couldn't get arrested. And <laughs> and I was just, I had two two small children. Johnny had a lot of issues with his health at that time, and I was just working my butt off doing two two uh teaching gigs plus playing almost plus playing, three or four wow. nights a week i was killing myself and leanne well, my wife leanne she she said you know why don't you try to get bruce to play guitar on one song she said maybe it'll change your luck you know maybe right. people start listening to you again and uh so i got in touch with john landau uh ask him if that was a possibility and I guess he passed it on to Bruce so I was playing at a uh, bar on a weeknight in Pittsburgh right? acoustically right and this is when I was at my lowest point you know I was usually did all original material you know I'm, I'm not you know what songs I do know from the 60s and 70s and uh <laughs> Never had much um, interest in, you know, doing the cover thing. Yeah, the cover thing. So, but you know, I guess Johnny needed a new pair of shoes or something. And <laughs> I, I took this gig. You did your thing, and it was freaking horrible. You know, nobody <laughs> was listening to me, and uh, so I played one set. I had to do two sets, and Brian. My longtime sound yeah. man, he, yeah. he came up to me and said, "Hey, Leanne just called. The manager said uh, Leanne just called. You got to call, call home." So, I, on the break, I went into uh, the uh, kitchen, and you know they, they were serving food in this place, so people were banging dishes around and stuff. And <laughs> called home, and Lee said that uh, Bruce called me, and I better call him right away. So. I, Got on the phone and <laughs> called Bruce Springsteen from Miss 
rest, <laughs> restaurant uh, kitchen. And he invited me out to, to Los Angeles. He said, why don't you come out and, you know, we'll do a song. Wow. So, uh, you know, it, it went from there. Did you pack up I, your, I your gear right there? <laughs> What's that? Did you pack up your gear and get the hell out of there right away? Well, I only had a guitar, but no, I had a, you know, like I said, Johnny needed a new pair of shoes. Yeah, that's what you got to do. I wasn't going home empty-handed. That's for damn sure. Yeah, good so. point. So that's so that's so that was the beginning. Now I know that you had you were you were you were teaching at the time. I remember you I telling me a story. Two jobs. I was teaching at the roughest school you can imagine. We had right. uh, kids from eighty different school districts. They were the worst behaved kids in Western Pennsylvania. And we were uh, at that time licensed to restrain. God bless you. That must have and, been tough. And at night, I was teaching people to get get their GEDs. Wow. Now you you kind of you told me a story. I think it's from the same time uh, when you were they were giving you a tough time to head out to LA, right, to see them. Well, yeah. I'd, you needed I'd, to take uh, some time off. I went to my boss, Doctor Schaefer, my immediate boss, and. You know, I said, I said, well, you know, I, I got an opportunity to uh, record in Los Angeles to Bruce Springsteen, so I, I'm going to take a couple of days off. Now, this is a place where they had to beg people to come to work. You know, nobody worked there because it was violent. It was low-paying. It was violent. Right. And uh, so I took a couple of days off that pay, went out and, and did um, – uh, chain smoking and uh, never be enough time. Nice. And Bruce apparently was was liking it, and uh, he wanted to finish it off. Uh, so I I couldn't have finished it off in Pittsburgh anyways because we he was recording on these brand new uh, digital tape machines. They were right. actually digital tape, forty eight tracks, and nobody had them. Right. Know? And uh, so. So he says, well, let's get together in, in New York and, uh, you know, we'll finish this off. So so I had played a few songs for him in uh, Los Angeles, and he said, they're not very good. You know, these just, just songs aren't very good. You know, you, should, you could do better than that. So uh, when I come home, I was bound and determined to write a better songs than I had, had you know, uh, I wasn't on a roll, you know. Right, I, right, right. I was, I was down on my luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, I just wasn't writing good songs. So, so lo and behold, when I come home, uh, I was playing in the bars, and, and a guy came up and gave me a book called Homestead, you know, the ah. story of a lot of American town. Right. And I was really familiar with Homestead. You want to? You sure you want to hear his story? Because to get, you know, it's, it's kind of lengthy, but um. Um, yeah, I think everybody uh, does. So, um, anyways, you know, the homestead was like the quintessential American steel mill, right? Uh, and and the, the mill. And uh, when I grew up, a lot of the men, the grown men in my town, worked there. Right. When we could get stay, uh, go get on a school bus to go to school. In high school, there was two bus stops, one for the, the kids going to school and another bus stop picking up uh, the men of the town, taking them to the homestead to work in the homestead. Is that, like, is that and, the Biddle Mines? The, oh, no. Well, the Biddle Mines was closed. They were taking these guys, oh, okay. uh, sons of coal miners, to work in the, you know, the coal miners were all old. They were all old right. grandfathers. Okay. The steel workers were all the uncles and dads. Gotcha. 
older brothers, you know. So they were all working down Homestead, and um, you know, so it, you know, uh, one thing in the summer, the, the, the men of the town would take the kids down to see the steel mills, and they were quite frightening. You know, I, I would I would go down with my my neighbors. It would take me down to see it because my dad, uh, he was a coal miner, and he was going, he wasn't right. going to do that kind of work anymore. So he was working on cars. And uh, he had no desire to be a steel worker and or a miner anymore. Right. And um, so I was, uh, you know, I had been in Homestead. And then in the 80s, when Homestead was going down the tubes, we we uh, have helped establish the first food bank for for the for the steel workers. And uh, and Bruce, when he came into town, he he became friendly with them, and he you know he donated to the to to the uh, the cause too with the food bank and when right, I read this book does. Bruce and my name were in this book so um, so I wrote a story about steel mills right homestead and um, I couldn't come up with any good music for it that was very uh, compelling so uh, so Bruce and I got together in New York and we finished off those two songs and on my way out the door I said hey man you know, if you want to give this this a whack, you know, be my guest. I gave him the lyrics to, to Homestead. Now, now you know, I, I was really cool. felt like I was going out on a limb. I said, it's like giving Bob Dylan. Right, exactly. Said, hey, hey, Bob, can you come up with something? You know, see if you can do something with this. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? And, um, but lo and behold, so I get back to work, and my boss, Dr. Schaefer, she comes to me. She said the um, principal says, if you work with Bruce Springsteen again, he's going to fire you. And I said, what? <laughs> this is the story, yeah. She, she said, he's going to fire you. I said, why would he fire me? She said, I don't know. He has something against Bruce Springsteen. She <laughs> said, I said, you can't even get people to work here. I said, I show up every day. I took, you right. know, uh, time off without, you know, pay and blah, 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 you know. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I, I said, I think I'm done with Bruce anyways. I got these two songs done and, you know. Right. Think we're gonna do much more. So, <laughs> so Sunday night I'm I'm going to bed and and my wife comes in with the phone, and she says Joe Bruce is on the phone and I get on the phone and, says, and Bruce goes Hey Joe listen to this so he plays Homestead on on the phone I said, he says Oh man you know he says he said we gotta record this I said Oh great he says When he says Tuesday <laughs> uh, Bruce right? calls gotta go so now. I'm going into work, and I'm going to lie to him. <laughs> of course. You know? I would, too. So I go into work. I work Monday, and I come home Monday night. I call off sick. Sure. I call off sick now. So Leanne and I, my mom and dad, come down and watch the kids. We fly up to New Jersey. You know, we go down to Bruce's place. Uh, that morning, before we go to the studio, we're in, we're in Bruce's office den whatever you know working on the song and this is pre-cell phone day so patty comes walking in with with the phone right and she says joe it's it's your mom so you know you get a call from your mom at bruce springsteen's house in the morning you're worried, you, sure. you, you feel something's bad bad's going to happen right sure so you think you know the kids are sick or something you know some something screwed up is going on and you know so i get the phone and and 
on my goes, Joey, she said, work just called him. They said, if you don't call him 15 minutes, you're fired. I said, what? <laughs> she said, yeah. She said, you got to call him. Here's, here's the principal. His name was Dick. Yeah, very apropos. Perfect name, Dick Kirshner, mm-hmm. who seemed, uh, he said, this is, this is Dr. Kirshner's number, personal number he wants you to call. So, so now I got a call. And I said, hey, Bruce, can you keep quiet for a minute, please? <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> and he started playing on a guitar. But no, 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 you got to be quiet. You got. <laughs> so I get on the phone and Dick, and he said, uh, he said, where are you? I said, well, I'm home. I'm sick. He said, why'd your mom answer the phone? I said, well, I'm so sick. My mom had to come down and watch the kids. My wife's at work, and I'm sick. I'm, you know, I can't. Well, I was in the bathroom. He said, you're not with Bruce Springsteen, are you? I said, no, why would I be with Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> what did he have against Bruce? Yeah, Bruce who, you know? Yeah. So he said, well, don't come back to school unless you've got a doctor's excuse. I said, okay. So um, so I did get a doctor's excuse. Because <laughs> uh, your doctor was probably a Springsteen fan. He said, he, well, you know, well, I'll take care of this. It was what, my doctor was, was one of my best friends. So. <laughs> so that was no problem. So I went back, you know, and. And then the la- uh, land up ended up um, asking for a slight leave of absence to go do some playing, and he wouldn't give it to me, so I fucking quit. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm no. sorry, I quit. I'm sorry. No, you can swear on this one. We're, we're, okay, we're, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, we don't have the CRTCA down our back here, so we're good. So, so now, did you finish the record uh, with him? Like, that's three songs. Like, did you finish? Well, we finished. Uh, we worked on Homestead, and our Homestead still need finished. And, uh, and Bruce started having kids. You know, he had a couple kids, and you know, we did um, we did only lovers left alive, coming down Maria, and on the the the, uh, the reissue a version of uh, only lovers left alive, where Bruce played a guitar solo on it, okay. and. Uh, Coming down and talk show, which is basically uh, was Bruce and I just playing those songs and uh, and you know I finally pestered him enough to let us finish to, to finish the record because uh, you know I, I mean I I couldn't go anywhere I had like five six songs with Bruce Springsteen I I couldn't finish it without him you know obviously and, yeah. and uh, well, so uh, you know we we did a couple more sessions uh in 95 out uh, in LA with the band I brought the band out once and then I come back out again. Oh, that's been a pretty big throw for the rest of the band. Yeah, so anyway. Well, I, it, I, honestly it's it's honestly one of my top albums of all time, not just your albums, but it's the oh, one. Thank of, you. I and when you that. when you when you pl- when you play songs like Chain Smoking and Never Be Enough well, it's Time. It's a game changer, you know, in and I still have to, you know, I can still go out now and play, you know, probably the whole whole nice worth of American Babylon music, and people would be happy. Yeah, it's it's and definitely a fan really favorite. Stood the test of time. It doesn't sound dated. Now, you know, I mentioned that to Bruce when we were talking uh, uh, when the reissue was coming out. I said, you know, you, this record could could have been made yesterday. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I still play it a lot, and you're right. You don't get tired of it, and it doesn't sound dated. Well, so now you've well, put out a... You know, and, you know uh, just even the subject matter. Right, is, that too. You know, no. It could have 
made yesterday. So, I mean, uh, we, we spent a lot of time talking about some of your, your albums and your early work. Now, back back then, back in the day, you were, uh, you know, this is called Just Around the Corner, so I want to bring in a little bit of Light of Day stuff. But So you, you were one of the original uh, organizers of Light of Day, right? Well, Bob was my manager at the time. Right. And uh, he contracted Parkinson's, and, and uh, they had an initial little get-together on his 40th birthday, and for his 41st, he, he decided he was going to, you know, do a, a more elaborate uh, event. Right. So he got Stone Pony, and he, uh, he asked us to play, and... You know, Bruce and I were hanging out quite a bit in those days, so I asked Bruce to come. And uh-uh, that's how it began. So Bruce showed up for the first several of them, I, be, I do believe, you know. At the beginning, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it, you know, obviously, you know, with, with Bruce's weight behind it, it became a much uh, more... Um, Well, I mean, you know, desirable event to come up to. Cause more desirable <laughs> yeah. event than just me. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, a bunch of guys from Jersey, Joe Durso and Willie Now. And, uh, you know, it's, and it just morphed from there. And it, you know, just kept building and building and building until, you know, it's, it is what it is today. Wow. I mean, and, and, you th- and you think of how much money you guys have raised, uh, close to $6 million, if not over $6 million. And, and I think also, we've earned $8 million. Eight. I'm way off. Light of day, oh, I probably, which is you know, and we're strictly a grassroots organization. Exactly. You know, exactly. we we have uh, you know, it's a bunch of guys, buddies who just got together and say, you know, it's like the old Mickey Rooney movie. Hey, let's have a show. You know, well, and and I remember uh, me and you started doing work together on your that website, and I remember Mike Minervini calling me. <clears throat> it was an August afternoon and. He had talked to Joe Durso, and they talked about maybe doing something in Niagara, and I called you, and you, you mentioned we should do something here, too, and then we did the, that's how we got the first Light of Day Niagara off the ground. It was you, Durso, Willie Now. You came down and played my old high school auditorium. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Now. Well, we had some good shows in that uh, place where they kept the tigers and <laughs> the lions, the tigers Fruin and bears. <laughs> the Greg Fruin Theater. You guys used to love the smell of the, uh, the lions. Oh, yeah. That. It was like a zoo. It did smell like a zoo, but it was a nice venue. We had some good times there. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you've played uh, basically every single light of day. And for some reason, I don't think you were here for the the one with Southside, the last one. I'm not I missed. I missed the. Um, back in eighteen. Uh, I missed the uh, Steve Earle one, I believe. No. Oh, maybe you did. Yes, you did. You're right. You're right. I missed Steve Earle. Yeah, that's right. But you did get to play the Meridian Center Arena, the largest light of day show ever, right? You played that one. The one where we didn't do light of day at the end, <laughs> much to the dismay of the crowd. Well, no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've appreciated all you've done for us over the years, and you also played a lot of our summer shows. Phil Pasco, I was on the phone with him just before. Yeah, we always had, said you know what, it, it, one of the beauties of music is, is the friendships that... Uh, you know, it, it, I won't say causes, but friendship happened because of the music. And, uh, you know, like uh, 
you know, you and Sammy are two of my best friends in the whole world now, you know, so. And, and, that, and that's, out, hey, it's funny, hey, how that happened. My, my bar up in, in uh, Toronto, you know, the Cadillac, the late, great Cadillac Lounge. Oh, had some good times with you there. In the whole world. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it's funny, you say that, and I remember John Cafferty, the year he played, and he played the Fruin, and it was a great show, it was packed, and then he played Cadillac Lounge, and he said, Dave, Good show last night, but this is where I like playing the most. A <laughs> place like this, so I get it. It's, it had a great vibe, and Sam. Yeah, was, a great vibe, and you know, there's nothing like seeing a, a, a really good music in a bar. You know, people say ah, bar bands, you know, but you know, there's bar. I mean, the East Street Band's a bar band. That's right. Everybody starts out as a bar band. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were a bar band. Exactly. Right. The Stones. tell you light of day has uh uh has to thank you and your and your house rockers danny and, and everybody for all you've done for light of day and helping raise the money and obviously your friends with bruce so that doesn't hurt that uh you know he comes along quite often uh tasbury park never got him here in canada we were close that one time i don't know if you recall that but he was he was actually having pizza his daughter was uh in toronto and she just finished uh she, she does the the steeplechase or whatever she does and uh he was at the one of the events down in Toronto, and we were playing. You guys were playing at the uh, Elma Combo that night, actually. Southside was the uh, the headliner. It was you guys and Willie Nile, and we, everybody was trying to get a hold of them on the phone, but nothing nothing came to pass that day. But that's yeah, hard. That's what happens. Yeah, it happens. So now I got a couple uh, final questions to ask you before we roll this thing up. Now one is from Sammy. Uh, speaking of the Cadillac Lounge, Sammy said that I've got to ask you about the first time you played the Cadillac Lounge. Is there, is there, a, is there something special? I think it has to do with the border. Is that right? Well, Sammy invited us up to play Canada, right? Right. And uh, I had played Canada with the Iron City House Rockers. And, you know, it was – I know if you, you went in with equipment, you had to do a manifesto and all this shit, right? And, and – uh, I knew you had to pay to get in the place. <laughs> so there was a cover charge. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, so we're getting close to the border. It's the first time we've been in Canada for yeah, 15 years. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to Sam on the phone. And I said, Sam, where's our working papers? And he says, oh, just go tell them you're paying a, a benefit. I said, really? He said, yeah, just tell me you're playing bip. So we walk in. Uh, yeah, they're not always not so friendly. Your bridge. What's your bridge? Rainbow Bridge. Rainbow right? Bridge, yeah, Rainbow Bridge. We're the Peace Bridge. We peace walk is, in. And, yeah, uh, Peace One's in Buffalo. It's a Friday night, and these people look at us like we're crazy in the day. <laughs> and, you know, we're trying to talk about this in Canada. And I remember one of these the statements that one of the um, border crossing guards said is, you have a better chance of getting in Canada with a, with a trunk load of guns than you do a trunk load of guitars. Sammy told me that. That's hilarious and probably yeah, true. Said, really? <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, we're going to call this guy and we're going to try to get back in. They were like, they laughed at us. They literally laughed at us. They said, you, it's four 
o'clock on a Friday night, you never get working papers. You'll never get in Canada. Right. So we go back to the border, and uh, I think there was a McDonald's there or something we're hanging out at, and we call Sam, and I said, Sam, we can't get in. I was a little aggravated. I'm sure. I, would be I, knew, <laughs> I knew he had working papers. <laughs> but, of course, again, not being... Uh, thinking like I should. I shouldn't have went up to Canada with that well, paper. But anyway, so. I used to send them to you guys. So Sam goes, well, wait a minute. He says, I'll get you papers. And, <laughs> and we're looking at each other like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he calls back about 10 minutes later. So I said, that's like about quarter to five. We go back across the bridge and he says, tell them that, that, that. So he gave us direction, you know, who we're supposed to talk to. So we we come strutting in, you know, uh, <laughs> people, like, looking at us like, uh, I, said, I said, we're here again. And I said, yeah, what do you want? I said, well, we have working papers now. I said, what do you mean you have working papers? <laughs> <No>. so, <laughs> and they were looking at us like, where'd you get uh, these? Mouth dropped open, you know. I said, sure. I couldn't believe we came back. But we somehow Sam had got the working papers sent to the border paid our fee to get in and we got in first time again <laughs> sammy gets things done. i don't know how he it did might, it it might have been they a backwards way around it, it but it he was, did it was a feat yeah hey, listen joe he's italian he knows people that's what it was it was the italian in him he had some connection somewhere <laughs> sammy he's the best oh yeah he told me that story he told me a little bit but he said you'd, you'd finish that story up now we've we've had a lot of breakfasts in asbury park where he told me a bunch of stories and then we'll have to have a part two so we can talk about chuck berry and a bunch of other cool oh, uh, people yeah. that you've been on stage with but uh before we go the last thing i don't i don't want to forget is i'm quite excited about this you got a new record coming out soon got a new record coming out yeah it's called uh can't outrun a memory. Oh, I like that. And, and I think it's the best record I've done probably since American Babylon. Well, I'll tell you, you keep setting the bar higher and higher. Your last album I thought was fantastic, too. I mean, there was East yeah, Carson Street. The last album was really good, but I think this album is better because, uh, you know, the band is ju was just playing at its peak That's on great. this record. And uh, Johnny, uh, who, who got involved in the last record when it was almost done uh, was involved from the beginning on this one and he, he really uh, brought it into focus production wise he did some really good production on the record sounds terrific and he and Brian mixed it along with uh, our, our producer Rick Wachowski um, so it was produced wait. by Johnny, Brian and Rick and uh it really sounds terrific. I, I think, you know, I'm really, really uh, happy with it. It's, it's a real rock and roll record. When do you think I mean, it's, it'll be out? It's a really good record. I'm, you know, uh, I think it's one of my best. When do you think it'll be out? Oh, uh, hopefully sooner than later. You know, are you gonna things do are it? moving kind of slow these days. We, we, you know, we we come out of the pandemic. Everybody kept getting um, health issues. Right. You know, so yeah, it's been a tough go. The pandemic was, uh, you know, um, long-lasting here. You know, so. Well, it, I'm looking forward to that, and I, I apologize. Unfortunately, my kid has been so busy with his music. We were 
we were planning, I, I actually had a hotel room. We were planning on coming up on Saturday to hang out with you. I appreciate Des uh, uh, inviting well, us. Well, you're going to miss a good time. That's I all know. I can say. Well, listen. A party like it's 1999. Well, have a good time, but you got to get out alive. you got to get out alive. <laughs> we nice. use that line I, I, more more than you actually know. Use that line. Well, you know, I actually said that at a far one night. That's how I, we got to. Our initial fans, Pittsburgh was a rough and tumble place when we were coming up in the late 70s and the 80s our fans used to be so enthusiastic there would be massive fights almost every time we played wow and uh i can remember the same one night these guys were just like tearing this bar apart i i, I said come on guys i said have a good time but get out alive jeez you know, <laughs> For each other here, you, know? <laughs> you caused a ruckus, Joe. Well, listen, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for talking. I know uh, it's probably a little bit longer than you expected. Uh, thanks for taking That's time. All right, I appreciate it. Do me a favor, say hi to uh, Johnny Des and Leanne for me. Uh, give give Leanne a big hug and a kiss for me. And uh, will do. Happy birthday a little bit early and uh, happy retirement. And maybe maybe you'll do a CD release uh, in Canada. Uh, I'd love to. Bye, up. We should plan something. Well, thanks again, Joe, and I'll be uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for hanging All out. All right, brother. Okay, Bye. brother. Take care. Wow, that was uh, the great Joe Grushecki, uh from Joe Grushecki and the House Rockers up there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's he's also got a wonderful, wonderful family. Leanne's a beautiful lady, and, and his sister-in-law Pam. She's an actual, real, on-air personality, not like me pretending. And uh, Johnny, uh, his son, and his band. That must be cool. I was going to ask him about that. How, how does that feel to be up there on stage with your son? Uh, my son's on stage, and I watch him. But to be up there and the two of them jamming, there's some great pictures of the two of them and their beautiful daughter, Desiree, who uh, who does her own thing. And uh, I can't remember exactly. I should have looked that up beforehand. But, uh, you know, she's uh, she works in, I think, uh, something to do with uh, designing it and so on but she's putting out they're putting out a big party for her dad for his 75th and his retirement i was kind of hoping to bring the family out there but a kid of mine is uh doing weddings and, and bars and so much that we couldn't get out so thanks again joe uh folks tune in next week uh just around the corner where my guests will be jason heath and Jason Federici down in California from Jason Heath and the Greedy Souls. Got lots to talk about, including their jail guitar doors uh, that they're involved with. And they just had a big show at the Capo Center in, Ca in uh, California with uh, Tom Morello and Wayne Kramer and so on. A great show, I guess. It went over really well Saturday night. So that is next Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Week after that will be uh, Bobby Mahoney on a Wednesday at 6.30. Looking forward to talking to Bobby, too. want to thank our sponsor, Lupo's Little Italy. Not Italy, Little Italy. A little play on words there. Uh, we helped with a lot of his branding, Danima, at the beginning, and he's been a great uh, sponsor for Light of Day for our songwriter shows. And now he's doing the Just Around the Corner show for the month of May. So thank you for... Uh, for sponsoring John Franco and your team. Uh, you can catch them over at the Canadian Tire Plaza on Morrison Street here in Niagara Falls. One of the best veal sandwiches on the planet, trust me. Another money-back guarantee from Dan and Dave. <laughs> American Babylon, buy it. Incredible. But I, I do want you, and of course the veal sandwich, I do want you to go to Spotify. If you don't know Joe Grushecki's music, you should. Uh, one of the finest singer-songwriters uh, 
of our time. And I'm not, that's not hyperbole. It's, it's true. He's a phenomenal writer, one of my favorites. He was my f one of my favorites before I got to meet him. So it's pretty cool when you can interview him and when he calls you friend and you can call him friend. So, uh, you know, I'm not, it's not lost on me how, uh, how cool that is. And don't forget, you can catch all of our shows on Spotify. Just search just around the corner. And we're also here on 4680Q.com. We're caught up on the website. I've been helping out a little bit. Uh, Danima's a, a sponsor and uh, doing some work here for 4680Q. I think we're caught up with the podcast, so you'll be able to see all your favorite or listen to all your favorite uh, podcasts uh, from now on at 4680Q.com. Now, normally, when I end the show after an interview, uh, I end with a song. Uh, from that artist, but I woke up this morning to some pretty sad news here in Canada uh, and the world of music. We lost a legend last night, the great Gordon Lightfoot. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I would stay at my grandparents and uh, I would rifle through my Uncle John and my Aunt B's uh, records, and they, they liked great stuff. Well, I look back now and I know how great it was, uh, but they listened to a lot of singer-songwriter stuff from Harry Chapin and Jim Croce and Murray McLaughlin, and it just, just great great music i would listen to tapestry by carol king and and uh, you know they they helped shape my music just like my father did and uh one of the guys that they had uh was uh, gordon lightfoot uh, my uncle john loved gordon lightfoot and uh, gordon passed away last night um you know he's had some health issues over the years and i only got to see gordon once i was lucky enough to me and anna were invited out to uh, uh dave hodge was putting on a show uh at tay's winery Taz or Taz, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, uh, but great winery, by the way, here in the Niagara region, and they did a Gordon Lightfoot show where uh, Dave would interview Gord, play a song, or sorry, uh, talk about a song, and then an artist like Ron Sexsmith uh, would get up, and they would, Justin Rutledge, and they would play that song, and I think the backing band that night was... Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the band. I want to say Wayne Gretzky. But anyways, uh, they were the back band. Fantastic show. Uh, Gordon got up and sang at the end. Uh, it was the only time I seen him. I kind of met him really quickly because everybody was standing around, didn't really get to talk to him. Um, but he was a legend here in Canada and internationally. You're watching Facebook today. And, and you know, uh, Henry Gross. You guys remember that song, Shannon? Uh, he's a friend of Ron LaSalle's, and I'm a friend of his on Facebook. And when you see people like that, great songwriter, talking about how great Gordon Lightfoot was and how inspirational he was, uh, you see all these different people. And, you know, Bob Dylan calls him one of his favorite singer-songwriters and composers. And I think right there, uh, that says it all. And... Uh, when I was young, this was the 45 that my dad bought me that uh, I think I wore out a couple times. One of my favorite Gordon Lightfoot songs. So uh, rest easy, Mr. Lightfoot. Thank you very much for the music. A lot of people are going to miss you, but you left behind a legacy. From the album Sundown, one of my favorite records, here's Carefree Highway, Gordon Lightfoot. Rest easy. Thank you for the words, my friend. Picking up the pieces of my sweet shattered dream I wonder how the old folks are tonight Her name was Anne and I'll be damned if I recall her face She left me now knowing what to do Carefree highway, let me slip away on you Carefree highway, you seem Better days, the morning after blues, from my head down to my shoes. 
slip away, slip away on you. Turning back the pages to the times I love best, I wonder if she'll ever do the same. Now the thing that I call living. Just being satisfied with knowing I got no one left to blame. Carefree highway, I got to see you, my old friend. Carefree highway, you seen better days. The morning after blues, from my head down to my shoes. Carefree highway, let me slip away. Slip away on you. Searching through the fragments of my dream-shattered sleep, I wonder if the years have closed your mind. I guess it must be wanderlust or trying to get free. Slip away on you, carefree highway. You've seen the better days, the morning after blues, from my head down to my shoes. Carefree highway, let me slip away, slip away on you. Let me slip away on you, carefree highway. Slip away, slip away on you.